So we've been, uh, I've taken the month of January to kind of paint, try to paint this big picture of Scripture is that there are these, this, there is the great story of, um, of God's redemption through the G- Lord Jesus Christ. Or, you know, uh, I, I think it's entirely possible to know the individual stories of the Bible and, uh, and to maybe you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you didn't, maybe you've just, maybe you know the stories or have heard the stories, but if you don't know the big story, then all the little stories lose their meaning and their significance. There's one great story of really of not just the scriptures, but there's one great story of humanity. And that that is that God loves his people and God is willing to go to the to to sacrifice even himself that he might redeem us when we were lost, that he might welcome us back home when we had wandered away. Uh, that, that he might uh, pay the penalty for our sins and to, and to cleanse us so that we could stand with him again. So we've been talking about how the Lord Jesus Christ is like a second Adam who, who's created a, a new people who were not tainted by sin anymore. We talked about how the Lord Jesus Christ is like the, the dwelling place of God for men and he's an even better dwelling place than the temple and even better than the tabernacle. He is, he is God with us as one of us. Amen. Well, today, um, talk about a big, a, big, uh, a, a big topic. I want to talk to you today about how the Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's character, the embodiment of the glory of God, but specifically the greatest demonstration of the love of God and the greatest demonstration of love period ever in, the, in human history. So there we go. There's a short, uh, there's a short synopsis for us. So we're going to pick up in Genesis, sorry, Exodus chapter 33. Let me tell you what's going on here. Um, I hate to start in the middle of a, of a, of a book and not, uh, not give you some, some uh, context. So in Exodus, previously in Exodus, there had been, um, uh, 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 Moses had gone up onto Mount Sinai where he's receiving the law. And you remember what happens. The Lord calls him and says, you need to go down to see what the people have done. So in chapter 32, he comes down and Moses discovers that the people, at, somehow led by Aaron, um, the people have built, um, have committed maybe the greatest sin since they've left Egypt. You know, they were grumbling against God that they were thirsty. They were grumbling against God that they were hungry. They were grumbling and not praying, right? They weren't seeking the Lord in those things. They were grumbling instead, complaining that they didn't trust the Lord's goodness. And then in chapter 32, while Moses is up uh, receiving the law and the, and, the, and the cloud and the fire and the lightning and the smoke is covering the top of the mountain and God is giving his good, his good law to the people about how they might live they come down and they've made a golden calf so then Moses uh, God tells Moses I can't be with these people if I'm with these people my my holiness will devour them because of their sinfulness this is uh, this is one of the things uh, that we know about God is that his holiness is ferocious it is he is incre- he is perfectly just and and we're going to read about it here in just a moment but he is perfectly just and he just doesn't say oh sin is no big deal right sin is a big deal sin is a, the greatest destructive power in all of human history it is it, it brings about more destruction than than all the weapons created in the history of the world sin breaks homes and relationships and splits churches and causes people to 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 sin against each other to 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 murder and to and to covet and to be jealous and it is a destructive force it is a big deal and God treats us that way. So then Moses in chapter 33 starts interceding for the people. He says, "Lord, if you depart from us, who are we? We we won't even be we won't be the people of God anymore. We won't even know who we are." And so he asked the Lord, "Please, Lord, be present with us. 
And he tells them in the middle of chapter 33, he says, Lord, if you don't go up with us, if you don't go with us into the promised land, we just won't go. And so the Lord relents and he says, okay, Moses, because you've asked, I will go with you. But Moses asked for a sign. And this is, I, I think this is one of the most profound revelations of who God is in the scriptures apart from Jesus Christ. This is one of the most profound moments in all of Old Testament history where we really get a glimpse of the invisible God. It's a remarkable moment. So pick up with me in 33 as we hear Moses ask the Lord to show me your glory. He's asking for a sign. Lord, I want, I want to see your glory. I want to know you and I want to know that you're with me. I want to see another, I want to see another sign so that I can be reassured of your presence with us. And so pick up with me there in 33 verses 18 and 20. Moses said, please show me your glory. What a bold request, isn't it? Show me your glory. He's wanting to see the Lord's glory again so that he can be confident of the Lord's presence with him. Verse 19, And he, the Lord, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So here the Lord responds and says, Yes, I'll do it. I'll, I'll show you my glory. But I want you to notice this about these verses before we move on. And we're going to hit about four different passages this morning fairly quickly. So forgive me for the speed this morning. But I want you to notice this first thing. Moses asked, I want to show me your glory. And the Lord's reply is, I will show you my, what? Goodness. You see, God's glory is revealed in his goodness. How do we know about God's goodness? Well, we know it because we know that God is glorious because the Lord is good. Amen? And in particularly, God is good to his people. And matter of fact, he'll go on to describe his goodness a little bit more. He's describing his goodness specifically toward people who don't deserve his goodness. He's describing his goodness towards sinners. Right towards people who, uh, even for these people who had just committed the sin of idolatry after they've been grumbling and complaining about God and not trusting Him as they started this, this journey through the desert and they, they don't trust God and they said, oh, just, just send us back to Egypt. We were better off there than trusting this God. It's an incredible um, claim against God, accusation. But then he goes on to say, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I will show you my goodness show you my goodness. The Lord's goodness is a declaration of his glory. And he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And listen to what he says, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious. Now listen to these words. It's, they're going to be repeated. And I, will, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So the Lord says, I'll proclaim my name. So the Lord says, you're going to see, I'll show you my glory and I'll proclaim my name before you. What does that mean that he's going to proclaim his name? Well, in, in all of the Old Testament, really the New Testament too, the name was, just a, was more than just a name. It, in, 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 it tied into someone's name was also a part of their character, a part of who they were. And so God says about his name, the Lord, about his name Yahweh, that we would say here, right, in, in Hebrew, about his name Yahweh, is tied up in his name, is grace and mercy. Part of, the, part of our understanding about who God is, is knowing that he is Yahweh, but Yahweh is not just a name, it's also a part of his character, and he says, I'll proclaim my name, and in my name is wrapped up this grace and this mercy, and specifically here he's talking about his grace and mercy towards sinners. It's an incredible thing that God's declaring, even in my name, you can see my character 
and my goodness and my mercy and my grace towards sinners. All right, so keep that in mind. This is what Moses has asked for. I'm not going to read the rest, but what's going to happen is God's going to tell him, I'm going to put you in the cleft or the crevice of a rock. And then he says, and then I'm going to, I'm going to put my, God's going to say, you know, God is, God, we, we know about God that he is invisible, that he is, um, he, he is able to um, present himself um, throughout the Old Testament. We see these theophanies, right? These visions of God in different ways. Sometimes they, these the people appear like an angel. Sometimes they appear like a man. Um, in this case, God's going to like somehow corporealize his hand. And, and as Moses is there in the cleft of the rock, in the crevice of the rock, he's going he's gonna to put his hand over Moses because he's going to say, you can't see me face to face. Right? The, the ferocity of God's holiness won't allow it. Moses would be devoured if he were to see Moses, if he were to see God face to face. So he says, I'll cover you with my hand. And then after I pass by, Moses was going to be allowed to see something like the afterglow of God's glory after he had passed. Right, so God allows Moses this moment. He allows him to see this, to say, you want a sign that I'll be with you? Let me show you my glory and my goodness. Okay, then skip over with me across the page in verse chapter 34. We're going to pick up in 34 verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, stood with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So these are the actual words of God that Moses heard as he was standing there being shielded by the, by the, by the rocks and being shielded by God's hands from, from seeing the absolute terrifying and ferocious presence of God, right, that would have, would have devoured and destroyed him. He's, the Lord is covering him and protecting Moses from the full glory, but he gets just kind of an afterglow vision of what the Lord is like. And the Lord said these words. The Lord passed before him in verse 6 and proclaimed the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Those are the same words again. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because we have God himself describing himself for us all to hear, right? For Moses particularly, but as Moses penned these words for us to, for us to have even today, we know about what God is like. God, by his nature, is gracious and merciful, he is forgiving. It is part of the nature of God. This is who God is. And, and we see it particularly, and I, I want to focus on the, the second part of that description. So God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, but He is abounding. That word is a great little, great little Hebrew word. It's just, a, it's just a word that means much or many or great. God is much, many, and great in love and faithfulness. He is much in love and faithfulness. Great in love and faithfulness. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Those two little words, I want to I I show you just a little bit of Hebrew because th these are really important words in the Old Testament. These two words are coupled together more than 30 times in the Old Testament to describe God. This little couplet becomes like a, a two-word description 
of the nature of God that's used over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Nehemiah, I'm sorry, whoops, I messed up, Jonah. Jonah will use this verse to accuse God. You remember when God said he, was gonna, he wanted to send him to the Ninevites? And, and, and Jonah said, I don't want to go to the Ninevites because I know what you're like. You will forgive them, and I don't want those Ninevites to be forgiven. I want them to face your wrath. But he says, God, I know who you are. You are, and he uses these verses. He uses this verse. I know that you are gracious and merciful. I know that you're slow to anger and abounding in, those two words, love and faithfulness. And so he says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. But these two words, love and faithfulness, are repeated over and over again in the, in the Old Testament as a two-word description of the nature of God. So the first one is, this word love is chesed. Chesed. You want to say it with me? It's a little fun. It's like, you've got to like kind of clear your throat with the H. Chesed. And the second one is emeth. Emeth. Say it with me. It's okay. Emeth. So the word chesed is, refers to this what's described and really, really brought down in the, in the prophet Hosea in particular, but others as well, about this is the, what the, the English Standard Version that I read from calls steadfast love. This is the love of God that, that is not worn out by our failings. This is the love of God that, that continues, even though we continue to break faithfulness with God, God continues to be faithful to us. Amen? Though, we, though, though you and I are inconsistent with our prayers, although we're inconsistent with our love for God, we're inconsistent with making Him a priority in our lives, the chesed love of God continues for us. Amen? It is a steadfast, loyal, I like to use the word, it's a terrible in translation, but it gets something across, a stubborn love for us. It is a, let me put it another way, it is a gracious love. It is a love that says, I'm going to love you and you're going to continue to struggle to love me. You're going to continue to chase after other things and prioritize other things in your life. You're going to continue to have doubts about me and doubts about my goodness. You're going to go through struggles sometimes that are going to make you wonder whether I'm good or not. And God says, I will love you still. Amen? This is the chesed love of God. It is in the, in the Greek New Testament, it's the agape. That's, that's how the word is, is translated in, in the Greek New Testament is agape, this, that you would know. But the chesed love of God is a stubborn, gracious, loyal love that just knows no end. Another way to say it, it's his covenantal love. Because he's promised to love us, guess what? He's going to love us because he said he would. And God is, here's the second part, faithful to his word, Amen. He is, he is loving, but he's also faithful to us. This word, this word, this word, this word emeth means, means faithful. It could also be tra- translated true, right? If a, if a man is faithful to his wife, he is true to her, right? It, it's the same concept. God is true. And not, not only everything that he says and does, everything he says and speaks is true. It is because he is faithful, unrelenting, unconditionally faithful. Amen? He is Loving and faithful. This word is used over and over again about, the two, about a two-word summary of the nature of God. So here we have it. God's glory is revealed in His goodness. And so Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you my glory and my goodness. And, and then a, a greater description about what this goodness looks like. It is gracious and merciful. It is slow to anger and abounding in what? Love and faithfulness. Would you say that with me? Abounding in love and faithfulness. This two-word descriptor and throughout all, used throughout all the Old Testament about the character of God, love and faithfulness. 
Let's continue, though, because there are some disturbing verses in verse 7. There are some disturbing words. He says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. That could be or thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That all sounds really great. In other words, well, I, I can't go into each of those words today, but forgiving all kinds of sin. But who will not by no means clear the guilty? Well, here's what we know about God. He, was, he is perfectly loving. His love is blemishless. It is perfect, right? It is like no other love that we know on this earth, right? I try to love my wife well, but I don't love her as well as God does. I I try to love my children well, but I don't love them as well as God does, and I never will. I'm growing in, in my love for Him. I pray that you, as you're spending time abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're growing in a greater love because the Lord loved you and you know what love is now. Now you can love your husband or your wife. You can love your children. You can love your parents. You can love your grandchildren. You can love your neighbor as yourself because God has shown us what love is like. Amen. But here we have Him going on and talking about um, in the second part, but He will by no means clear the guilty. So God is perfectly loving. But listen, He is also perfectly just. He, he does not let sin just go by. He doesn't, he doesn't ever say, you never read in the Scriptures where God says, oh, but your sin was no big deal. Oh, your sin was really nothing. Listen, sin is the destructive force that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to defeat. Amen? Uh, none, of us can, none of us can look to the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ through the beatings and the torture and the suffering that they went through and say that my sin is no big deal. You with me? Our sin is a big deal. Our sin is the biggest deal. Our sin is the most destructive force on the planet. It ravages families. It causes wars and coveting. It, it causes hate and enmity and jealousy. Sin is a destructive force, and God says, I will not let sin go unpunished. There's a, another little disturbing part of it where he says that where God's talking about is visiting iniquity on children and their children's children. I, so I, I want to clear that up for you if you've been wondering about that. So what this is saying, this doesn't say that if your father sinned, then you're going to be punished for it even though you were innocent. That's not what this means at all. God is perfectly just. Well, I believe what this is talking about is that there are generational sins, and you can see this throughout the lives of the Old Testament in the, in the lives of the Israelites, pardon me, in the lives of the Israelites where they'll, they'll start a sin and the sin will go from generation to generation and generation. And what I believe what God's saying is he won't allow that to continue. He won't allow generational sin to continue. He may, you know, the fathers may, the grandfathers may have sinned and God may not have brought about some immediate judgment, but it doesn't mean that there's not some judgment going to come, right? He says he, says he won't put up with, he won't allow generational sin to continue. God will break and judge that sin. It, it sometimes, right, we know sin is going to be judged in a couple of ways, right? Either, either you're in the Lord Jesus Christ and when you and I stand before the Lord and before His judgment throne, and the enemy comes and starts hurling accusations about us, about how inconsistent we are, and we continue to sin, and we didn't put God first, and we didn't love our neighbor, all those things may well be true. But then the Lord Jesus Christ stands up and says, and I bore that sin on my shoulders on Calvary, and I took it to the tomb on that Friday. And now the condemnation and the accusations of the enemy have been done away with forever. Amen? 
Now, there are other people who will stand before God and they won't have the Lord Jesus Christ because they never came to know him. They never put their faith in him. They never believed that this could be true, that the Lord Jesus Christ died and paid for their sins. And so they will stand before God alone and the enemy will hurl accusations and they will all be true and there will be no mediator for them. Right? And there, there will be that judgment. There will be that judgment. There's a judgment sometimes that God does to, to cause us to repent, to, that he brings about some judgment that causes us to repent in the moment. But there is another judgment that is coming, especially for those who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. God punishes sin that continues through generations. His judgment will come. And sometimes he'll wait. Sometimes that judgment doesn't come until the end. But other times he brings his judgment now, which is actually merciful, right? If he brings his judgment now, if he brings some sort of judgment in my life today, then I have the opportunity to repent. I have the opportunity to turn from the sin and, and to repent from it. And it is a gracious act when God brings judgment on his, on his people or even on unbelievers in this life. So God's glory is revealed in his goodness and God's glory is revealed in, in particularly in his abounding, would you say it with me, love and faithfulness. God's glory is revealed in his abounding Love and faithfulness. Okay, so let's continue. Um, we have, uh, um, Jack led us through um, a responsive reading in Hebrews chapter one. And I, I want to just remind you of these. Jesus is the greatest revelation of God's character. If you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look to Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the greatest revelation, right? The prophets told us about who God was, was, what God was like. Moses tells us what God was like. Jesus shows us what God is like. We can see it in, in flesh and bone. It is, it is the greatest revelation. It is the greatest demonstration of the character of God that we see in the person of Christ. Because in Hebrews 1, 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Colossians 1.15 says, He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1.19, For in Him, I love these words, all the fullness of God, or in NIV it says, all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the character of God is not just some prophet telling us that He's always loving and merciful. We see in the Lord Jesus Christ, in human flesh, and in a way that you and I can understand better, that we can see, uh, right, and we can read in, in, in the Scriptures, and we can understand what the disciples saw, that, oh, now I see. Now I see it, it, by demonstration. Now I see in the flesh what the character of God is like. So Jesus is the greatest revelation of God's character. If you want to know what God is like, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All of the, of the glory of God, all of the grace and mercy of God, all of His abounding in, in love and, and, and faithfulness, all of His grace and compassion are all um, seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point to you now to John chapter 1. If you would look with me here. John ties what the disciples saw in the Lord Jesus Christ back to Exodus chapter 34 with what Moses saw when the, when the passing afterglow of the Lord. Look with me in John chapter 1, verse 14. 
This is John. Now, John, John has in his epilogue, um, he uses a metaphor for Jesus Christ that none of the other gospel writers do. He says that, that Jesus was the Word of God. That Jesus was the Word of God. In other words, Jesus was an expression, or particularly, he is a revelation of God, unlike no other revelation that the prophets couldn't even touch. Right? So he refers to Jesus as the Word. And look what, look what he says. This is, this is a testimony of John about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word, that is Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I'm going to spend the next few minutes describing how um, I believe, because of um, D.A. Carson's, Don Carson's teaching, that what John is doing here is reaching back to Exodus chapter 34. And what what he's saying here is that what we understood by the words of the prophets that, that God is abounding in love and faithfulness, we have seen in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The, the words of the Old Testament that were dis- trying to describe what God was like, and particularly in those two words, abounding in love and faithfulness, John is writing here and is writing here to see what the Old Testament said the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is what the Old Testament said God was like. Because, of course, we know what John is teaching here is because he is God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. How about that? Incredible words, aren't they? So let me, let's take just a moment. I want, I want you to think about those two verses that we read in Exodus chapter 33 and Exodus 34 and what we read here. So Moses said, show me your glory in, in Exodus 33. And the disciples, John says here in John chapter 1, says, we have seen his glory. I don't think that's an accident. I think John wrote this very purposefully with Exodus 33 and 34 in mind to say what was promised about the character of God and just described in words we have seen in Jesus Christ. Very intentionally thinking about Exodus 33 and 34. And remember in 34 it says that, that, that God is, is the God who abounds in love and faithfulness. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, in the last part it says that he was full of grace and truth. Well, how is it? Is love and faithfulness and grace and truth. I, I, think, I think John is using, what John is doing here is, is he's taking that idea that, that love and faithfulness of God that's repeated all throughout the Old Testament and specifically mentioned in Exodus 34. He's using Greek words now here in the New Testament and he says that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. And it's just another way of saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is full of, is abounding in love and faithfulness. Let me, let me walk you through it a little bit. John uses grace and truth for love and faithfulness. He uses, he uses the term grace in particular. This is the word, the word charis in, in Greek. And it's specifically about that, that aspect of love, that aspect of love that is, that is an unconditional kind of love. It is a gift, right? God loves us because he loves us. He doesn't love us because we've done things for him. He doesn't love us because we come to church on Sundays. He doesn't love us because we read our scriptures every day. He loves us because he loves us as a gift. It is a gracious love that he has loved us with. It is a grace that has come, it is a love that has come to us by his grace, unearned, unconditionally. He has chosen to love us. Amen. So I think what John has in mind here is particularly the grace, 
the gracious love of God. And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ was full of grace and then the word truth. That word truth, as I said, that, that word in Hebrew in, Hebrews, in, in Hebrew in the Old Testament, that word emeth could be described to say not only faithful, but also true. The Lord Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. On the next slide, let me read to you from uh, D.A. Carson's from the Pillar New Testament commentary from the Gospel of John. He writes this, The glory revealed to Moses when the Lord passed in front of him and sounded his name, displaying that divine goodness characterized by the ineffable grace and truth was the very same glory that John and his friends saw in the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. See, everything that the Old Testament said and tried to describe about God the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated in his being, in his nature. He is full of grace and truth. He is, he is, Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration of God's love. This is the last verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows, or NIV says, But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love the way this is written. I love the way Paul writes this, that, but God shows or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do you think about that for a moment? Before you and I ever began to look back to God with any hope or desire to return to him, Jesus went through the suffering and died on the cross. Before you and I had any inkling that we, we were like a prodigal that wandered off, we, we were like the lost sheep, right, that then needed to be brought back into the fold, the Lord Jesus Christ took the initiative and he went to the cross before you and I had any inkling that we would even turn to him, right? Now, it, it, it's impossible to say that, you know, I would never say that Jesus Christ had no idea whether or not we would come to him. Of course, he's, he's, om, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows people would come to him. But before you and I took a, took a step back to the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross while we were still enemies and far away from God. He took the initiative in love. He took the initiative in his faithfulness. He demonstrated in, in ways that the Old Testament never could. The Old Testament's having, you know, trying to describe in these words, oh, he's, oh, he's gracious, oh, he's, oh, he's loving, oh, he's faithful, he's true. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he is all of those things. To the point where, now this is, this is where I, I, I pray the Lord will help us. This is more than just an interesting thing about Jesus Christ. What this means is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross with you in mind. Knowing that you are far off and you are destined for the condemnation and the judgment of God, he went to the cross so that you and I, so that he could demonstrate the love of God in one final extravagant self-sacrificing act so that you and I might come to the Father so that we might be returned home, so that we might find our, so we might hide in the Lord and, and hide in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from the, the condemnation and the, and the punishment that we would be under had it not been for His sacrifice. To find our way back to, to know God and to, and to be loved by Him and to love Him ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ has done this. He is the greatest embodiment 
the revelation and the demonstration of the character and the love of God. And there will be no other. This is the greatest. There is, there is no other demonstration of God like this. Matter of fact, I would say this. There is no demonstration of love in the history of man like this one. Amen. This is the greatest demonstration where the innocent man goes, allows himself to be tortured and, and, and bruised and whipped and beaten and spat upon and mocked and ultimately to suffocate and die on a cross. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Remember, remember the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 2. He gave himself for me and he loved me. There is no greater love than this. Jesus would even say that, would he? I, I, I'm going to show a love like, like, like no other love. I'm going I'm to give my life up for my friends. There is no greater love. There is no greater demonstration. So what do we do with that? I, I want to I close with these words, with this application. Do you know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you've known these things all your life. Maybe you've heard them all, all your life. But maybe for you it's never been about you. Well, Today, it needs to be about you. The Lord Jesus Christ has done everything that's needed for your salvation. Everything to demonstrate the love of God to the ultimate, to the greatest demonstration, the greatest revelation. It's already been done. Jesus Christ has already paid the price to, to bring you back into the fold, to welcome you back home to, the heavenly, to your Heavenly Father. He's already done all those things. And it's not just for everyone else. The question is, is it for you? Have you come to believe that what He's done is for you? Not just not just the people around you, not just your mom and dad, not just your grandparents. Was this for you? Do you believe that he's done this for you? Well, listen, if, if it's never been personal for you today, it needs to be personal for you today. You need to come and you need to say to the Lord, I believe in what you've done, God. I believe you sent your son to the Lord Jesus Christ to demonstrate your love for me, to take away my sin. Even though I was guilty, the innocent went to the cross for me, that he might pay the price, that I might be forgiven of my sin, that I might be cleansed, that I may be welcomed into the house of the Father forever. If that's you today, I want to talk to you. I, I, I want to visit with you. I want to I I I invite you into the love and the forgiveness of God that has happened through the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to come to the Father today through the Lord Jesus Christ. The other part I would say is this, Christian. You and I can go through our days and, you know, we just kind of get beat up all the time in this broken world, don't we? We're, we're assaulted by temptation and sin and, you know, people, uh, some, you, you go to your job or you, you get, go through the tediousness of, of, of your home life or your work life or whatever else is going on and you just get beat up. I want to tell you this morning, you can rest because the Father loves you and he's demonstrated it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can rest. You, you, can, you can, when you have your quiet time in this morning, it's not because you're striving to, to do good or to do better. It's not because you're trying to be more disciplined and all this other stuff. You can rest because the Father loves you, and he's demonstrated it for you in the ultimate sense. You can rest from your strivings. You can open up your word of God and, and, and instead of feeling like you, oh, I got to get through this day. Oh, I got to do this. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to be more disciplined. You can sit and you can rest and you say, Lord, show me your love. Show me your plans for me today. Show me what you want to do in my life. Show me, I know there's things in my life that are still broken that you want to work on, that you want to transform me. Show me those things because of your love for me. You can rest in his love. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we think about these things, it's an incredible thing. The Lord Jesus Christ is in his character everything that the prophets tried to describe in the Old Testament. 
He is the love. He is the grace of God in person, in the flesh. And he demonstrated his love for us that while we were still far away from you, while we were still trapped and caught up in our sin, while we were pursuing sin instead of pursuing God, the Lord Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. An innocent man for guilty men and women. Father, what, what can we say? Lord, we want to see people come to know you. We want to, we want to rest in the love that you have for us. We want, to, we want to grow in this love that you have for us. We want our lives to be transformed because we have never seen such a demonstration of love. We've never seen such unconditional love. We've never seen such faithful love. We've never seen such gracious love like yours. May it transform us. May it change us. May we give our lives to you, Lord God, because of it. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.